Thank you for listening to First Baptist Church of Conway. It's our prayer that this message is both an encouragement and a challenge to you as you grow in faith. As we all move forward in light of COVID-19, we want to encourage you to make a priority of joining us in person for worship. Because as you know, listening to a podcast can never replace the need we all have for fellowship and corporate worship. So we look forward to seeing you soon. In the meantime, here is this week's message. I'm glad to be here with you this morning as we continue our series called The Journey of Faith. This is a series where we're going over the topics and the major themes of the book of Hebrews. In fact, what we're going to talk about today actually covers five to six chapters of the entire book. I mean, when he grabs hold of this one topic, he just keeps explaining and explaining and explaining. Perhaps that's why they call this author the preacher rather than just the author. Actually, in, in, in scholarship circles, he's called the preacher because it's more of a sermon. He just keeps expounding and expounding. And the topic we're going to talk about today is actual the central theme of the entire book. Before we talk about it, I need you to understand why it's important. Because if I were to just tell you what it is, your eyes might gloss over. You may just tune me out thinking this is extremely irrelevant and unimportant to my life. It's a way to build up a sermon, isn't it? Wow, this is going to be boring. Thank you for letting us know in advance. No, this is actually very important because let me ask you this. Have you ever had doubts about your faith? If I'm honest with you, and this may sound strange, especially for those of you who grew up in the church, but my journey of faith, if I'm honest, has often felt like a journey of, well, doubt. I remember when I started seminary, I used to hear people call it cemetery, and I didn't know why they said things like that, and then I went through it, and I found out why really quickly. See, my school specifically, we learn in, to read and study the Bible, and we have to learn theology and church history. I mean, it's very Bible-focused, which means you've got to learn all about the Bible. You've got to learn all about church history. You've got to learn all the people who put this stuff together with their motives and their ideas. And when you start charging through history and you start looking behind the veil, you start going, really? That's how that came to be? It could take you down a very hard path. A very kind of dark time almost. And then there's ministry. When you start ministry, you're like, man, this is going to be amazing. The best thing that's ever happened. I'm going to get to just preach and teach. And all the church people are going to love me. And it's going to go great. And Well, sometimes ministry can be discouraging, to say the least. And then there's everyday life. We live in a changing culture. And you know this. Where the principles and values of Christianity are no longer Sinner. It's no longer normal to have the Christians and the ethics and the morals of Christianity. So that's changed. In fact, Christians can be seen as small-minded or outdated or just out of touch with the reality of life. And you see the tragedies happen. You see the horrors happen. You see all the other things, the evil, and you just go, Are you, how does all this work? So I've struggled with my faith. I've struggled wondering. I wonder, is all this made up. I mean, at times it can feel like a journey of doubt and not like this massive journey of faith. And I ask you, have you ever doubted? You ever had questions? You ever wondered? You ever said, well, how reliable really is the Bible? I mean, is, is all this stuff made up? Is someone just trying to control the way we behave? I mean, is it actually true? 
You ever wondered how to answer that question that seemingly smart person brought up and you just say, that stumped me. I don't get it. Maybe it is all wrong. If you've ever had any doubts, I'm glad you're here this morning because we're, we're going to look at this morning. What we're going to talk about this morning is a central thing, the thing that helps me continue to come back to the faith over and over again. I mean, it's really what I use to check my thoughts, my mind, and when I catch myself, because you don't know you're on this doubt. You don't know that you're feeling, you know, all that stuff when you start feeling sad, when you start feeling secure. When, when you start going through all that, you don't realize it at the forefront that you're about to go through it. In the middle of it, you're going, oh, whoa, what's going on? It's a reality check. Something's not right with me. But here's what I use. Let's, if you have your Bible, go ahead and open it up. It's Hebrews 4.14. It'll be back here on the screen. It says this, therefore... We're going to stop there. You're like, oh, it's one of those sermons. Yeah, it's one, of, it's one of those sermons. You've probably heard this before. If not, I'm glad you're here. If you ever see therefore, you have to find out what? What it's there for. Three of us knew that. Now all of us know, right? If you see therefore, you have to find out what it's there for. And what therefore ties us back to is everything we talked about last week, about Jesus being our great leader, that we learned that our faithfulness on this journey of faith, meaning our faithfulness to Jesus, no matter how crazy life gets around us, if we are faithful to him, he will lead us to a place of rest. He will lead us to a place of peace, although it doesn't always feel that way when we're on that journey. But Jesus is our great leader, and that's where he wants to take us. So therefore, because of all that, therefore, since we have a great high priest, who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we possess, we profess. See, the Bible, we're going to do a review real quick. The Bible is laid out in two ways. A primary way is the Old Covenant and the New Covenant, or we call it the Old Testament and the New Testament. Remember that word testament is covenant. And remember, a covenant is uh, not a contract, but it's, it's similar to what we would call a contract, but it's where two parties enter into an agreement about mutual obligations with each other, but it's more relational than it is legal. People would enter, entered into covenants together. Tribes would enter into covenants together. Nations would enter into covenants together. And covenants bind the parties into saying, hey, I'll do this for you. I'll serve you this way. And then the other one says, yeah, okay, you serve me that way. I'll serve you in this way. Covenants where two people decide to have this relationship or this thing together. And the covenant sets the, the stipulations for the relationship. And in the Bible, the covenant that God has established with us is one of the primary themes. One of the things that continue to come back and he continues to come back to that God establishes covenant, a covenant with us as humans. Meaning God has established, because he created us, he established the guiding principles in order for you and I to have a relationship with him. Because we didn't create ourselves, we don't come up with the rules. Because he is the creator, says, if you want a relationship with me, you don't have to have one. You don't have to follow God. You don't have to love God. You can do whatever you want. He's given us that ability. He said, but if you want a relationship with me, here are the rules. And the, the overarching theme of it is, I will be their God. And they will be my people. Fast forward a bit in the Bible. We see the nation of Israel under this covenant with God called the Mosaic Covenant. It has how many commands in there? Right, Ten commandments. You remember that? 
Okay, you've heard of that? Okay, Ten Commandments. There's actually a whole bunch of other things going on, but let's just say that the Ten Commandments, and this is how God would relate to their people if his people related to him in this certain way. We're familiar with everything I just reviewed. Okay, here's what we're doing. Don't change the slide. The high priest would be the person who would mediate, who would represent the people to God. It was the high priest's job for Israel to make sure that Israel followed the covenant, that Israel did what God commanded them to do. He oversaw all of the worship. So the high priest stood as a mediator. He would mediate God to them and then the people to God. He would make sure that all the things were done. He was the chief religious person. In fact, he oversaw all of the priests. He would urge the people, hey, we want to be in this relationship with God. we got to follow what he says to do. You see, the high priest, the high priest came from the people. Do you remember, here's pop quiz, do you remember who the first high priest was? Come on, Sunday school teachers. It was Aaron, right? Remember Moses' brother? Moses was this. Aaron was the high priest. That's how that happens. And then all the other high priests came from whose line, you think? Aaron's, right, they were his family. I'm glad you, you learned something new today, didn't you? Next time you're playing Bible trivia, you're like, I'm going to get that one. I'm going to get that one. Yeah, so the high priest came from the line of Aaron, and they oversaw all the priests, remember, and they, re- resent, re- they represented the people to God and God to the people. And the most important thing the high priest would do on the Day of Atonement, he would go behind the Holy of Holies, the veil. The most sacred place. Do you remember this? He would go to the most sacred place and he would make that sacrifice. The atonement of sins for the entire nation. On that day, the whole nation would be wiped clean. They'd be sin-free until about five minutes after the atonement, right? But for that, they'd be wiped clean, sin-free. Every year they had to go and the high priest would have to make this great sacrifice for them. That's right. Hebrews says, yeah. You know what a high priest is because you're Jewish. Pretend. We have a great high priest. The writer of Hebrews says Jesus is the great high priest. And for the next five to six chapters, I mean, those of you who want to dig into that, don't worry, he does. But for the next five or six chapters, he lays out how Jesus, remember, we've learned he's greater than the angels. Jesus is greater than the prophets. The prophets, yeah. Jesus is greater. I mean, Moses, yeah. Even Moses, the writer of Hebrews says, the one who gave you all the laws and all the commands, Jesus is greater than him. In fact, he's greater than Aaron, the first high priest, Jesus is even greater than him. And since Jesus is our great high priest, guess what you and I don't need anymore? A high priest. But you didn't know that. We have a high priest. You're saying, well, we don't have that priestly stuff anymore. We absolutely do. Except it's Jesus now. We still have a high priest. His name is Jesus, and he tells us that. Jesus is the one who moderates our relationship with God. We still need somebody, but it's not Jesus. You mean, what what about that priest? Nope. Don't need him. That's why I'm Protestant, right? I'm I'm taking a stance. Those of you who maybe come from a Catholic, you you don't, never mind. We're going to move on before I get myself in trouble. But he says, now Jesus is the one. Jesus is the one that now mediates. We don't need any priest. We don't need any high priest. Jesus is the one that maintains that relationship. He says, so therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven. Remember, we just talked about this. The priests were to serve in the earthly sanctuary. 
The high priest would get to go to the holy holies, the, the great spot. The, that was the greatest honor. He says, no, but our high priest isn't in the temple. Our high priest didn't just go to the holy holies, didn't just go behind the veil. Our high priest ascended into heaven. Look at this quote. He says, rather, talking about Jesus in heaven, rather than the one who stands between God and humanity, Jesus takes us to God. This is beautiful. Ripping away the moral and ritualistic obstacles that prevented our free entrance into his presence. Just not, you know, humans, we try to go back to those ritualistic. We, 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 for some reason, our nature, we draw ourselves back to that. We don't need it. He pulls all that away and prevented our free entrance from presence. He not only has passed through the heavens, but he has also paved the way for us to join him on that adventure. Can you believe that? He didn't go to the Holy Holy just to make a sacrifice. Jesus just sent it straight into heaven, created a path for you and I to talk to God, to meet God. We're going to see it in a second. This is an amazing thing he says about Jesus. He says, so therefore, since we have a great high priest who is ascended into heaven, not just behind a veil, that thing was torn. He's at the throne room of God, Jesus, the Son of God. Now we know who that high priest is. I told you earlier, you probably already knew, but this person is Jesus. And here we see the richness and the beauty of his theology. Now, I'm not making all this up. This is really what he means. By everything he's saying, he points us to the historical person. He doesn't just say the Christ. He doesn't just say the Lord. He makes sure we know this Jesus, he has a name and you've learned it. This Jesus, this historical person is the one he's talking about, the one who came Came both was both God and both man, the Son of God, that togetherness, right? We talk about that every Christmas. You remember, it's called the Incarnation. Who's heard of the Incarnation? All right, those come to Christmas Eve. We talk about it every year if you've never heard of it, okay? But it's the Incarnation where God became man, came in representative, our full representative. You say, well, Brian, why did God become man? I mean, what's that whole Incarnation about? You ever wondered? You ever wondered why God needed to become a man? You ever just like, it's kind of weird. I don't really understand. Did you know the writer of Hebrews actually tells us? We're going to look at it now. Hebrews 2. It's a perfect time to look at it. He says, for this reason, he had to be made like him. We'll talk about this reason later. But for this reason, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful This high priest stuff, I know your eyes wanted to gloss over, but it's a really big deal. The entire reason for the incarnation, the entire reason we celebrate is because Jesus had to become human. Why? Because the high priest had to be, be human, had to offer a sacrifice. Well, guess who that person was? Jesus, in service to God, and that he might make an atonement. That should be yellow. Apologize. He might make an atonement for the sins of the people. Remember, the law was that some that the high priest had to make a sacrifice for the people. And so Jesus came and offered a sacrifice for the people. He had to become fully human and fully man to offer the perfect sacrifice for us all. You see, the sacrificial system of the Old Testament hasn't ended because it's outdated. We've stopped it because it's been fulfilled. Jesus is the eternal one. He eternal lives. So that sacrifice is being applied to the future. All oh, that priest stuff, we don't do that anymore. We absolutely do. 
We still need a blood sacrifice. We still need forgiveness of our sins. We still need all of that, except Jesus came and said, hey, I'm going to go ahead and do this, and you'll never have to do it again. Aren't you thankful we don't sacrifice goats and lambs here? I personally am very, I would have had to think about my career choice there, right? We no longer have to do that. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. This is where everything comes crashing together. Jesus, the Son of God has come to us to be our high priest and has now ascended back into heaven, paving the way for us to have access to God. So because of all that, he says, hold firmly. Hold firmly to the faith we profess. See, holding firmly to the faith we possess doesn't just mean mental affirmation, although it includes that. It's holding to the lifestyle we profess to be Christians. To do the things that Christians are to do. And you can hold firmly to your faith. You can grasp hold of it. You can cling to it all because of Jesus. You see, it's Jesus who gets me back on track every single time I doubt. Every single time I struggle. Every time someone asks me a question I can't answer. And I go, man, is this stuff true? What about this? What about this? I comes back to Jesus every single time. Because Jesus said he is the alpha and the omega, which means the beginning and the end. Everything starts with him and everything ends with him. And as Christians, we can be very clear. We are followers of Jesus, not anything else. We are followers of him. And when I struggle and I doubt, I go back to the person and the works of Jesus every time. You see, I don't have all the answers But nobody, I mean, nobody can disprove Jesus. Even the greatest skeptics, people who say, oh, Christianity, I'm going to prove it wrong. When they get into it and they learn and understand and read about Jesus, it rattles and shakes the greatest skeptic. People can point to the Bible. People want to point to how Christians act. They can point to a lot of things, but they cannot point and find anything wrong with Jesus. Because he is the most incredible person that ever lived, whether or not you believe he was the son of God or not. See, I look at Jesus and I understand the love of God by understanding that Jesus loved me enough to come die and take my place as a sinner. That's an incredible amount of love. You say, well, Brian, how do you know he really did that? Well, Jesus really died. Like That's a historical fact. And what did he gain from dying on a cross? Only us. That's it. He died for us. He gained nothing. I mean, I look at that and I go, my goodness, God loves. And then I see the incredible leadership of Jesus, how he started this grassroots movement under Rome. How many history people who likes history? Well, three of us. Good. We won't go over all that stuff then. Okay. But Rome was the most powerful empire the world had ever seen up until that point. And you take this little who has stomped out all sorts of armies and militaries. You should Google it. What did Rome do? It's pretty amazing. But yet this little grassroots movement, this little grassroots movement started under Rome and they couldn't put it out. Because the leadership of Jesus, I mean, that is absolutely amazing. I look at the example of Jesus. 
No self-interest, no castles, no political gain, no political fortune, didn't have 17 wives. All that other stuff that we see people in history end up gravitating toward when they come in a position of power. Nothing died for us. Every time you come back to Jesus, and we could go on and on and on, I go, these can't be coincidences. I mean, nobody can explain Jesus away. Absolutely nobody. And some want to say, well, Brian, or whoever, Jesus is just a good man. I mean, we like some of the things he says. I'll take that love everybody part. I mean, it's, it's so nice. But Jesus never claimed to be a good man. you got to read the stuff he actually said. He never said he was a good man. He claimed to be the Messiah, the Son of God. And when you are confronted with what Jesus actually said, you have to decide for yourself he's either a liar, a lunatic, or he is the Son of God. There's like no other way to look at him because he claims some really crazy things. So, Brian, did Jesus actually claim to be the Messiah? I mean, some of his parables are cryptic, and some of this stuff is really hard to understand. I mean, did Jesus actually say that stuff? And I want to point you to one thing to let you know that Jesus really did claim all that stuff. His people killed him for it. While we may have a hard time understanding some of these parables and illustrations, and we know not everything he said or did is written in the Bible, they killed him because they claimed he was a heretic claiming to be God, they completely and, under, completely and 100% understood what he was claiming. So they killed him. Yes, that's what Jesus said. The author of Hebrews says, listen, he is the God man. The one who came to fulfill all the requirements of the law. We're not just throwing that to the side. Jesus came and fulfilled all of those requirements. The entire sacrificial system and now has paved a way for you and I to have access to God. He is that historical man, Jesus. He is that person. When you study things like the book of Hebrews, you realize everything Jesus did, he didn't just show up out of a vacuum and just die. Everything Jesus did actually makes sense when you understand the Old Testament. You can actually connect it out. It takes a little bit of studying on your part, but it actually makes sense and it comes together and it blows your mind that Jesus really is incredible. You see, your faith doesn't start with the Bible being true. Your faith should be built on that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Your faith isn't founded on the moral and the ethics of the Bible. Your faith is founded on the moral and the ethics of Jesus Christ who actually pulled off everything he preached. Isn't that amazing in itself? There's no dirt out there on Jesus. How many of you practice what you preach? How many of you do all the stuff you tell your kids to do? You're like, none of us, absolutely none of us. I know, Jesus actually did that. In fact, your faith cannot be built on if Christianity and science merge together and make perfectly sense. Your faith can't be built on that because Jesus came in, well, he did the supernatural. He did the unexplainable. I mean, Jesus Christ died and rose again. Do you think science can ever explain how someone died and rose again? No, because science measures the repeatable. What Jesus did was a once and for all thing. Therefore, they can never try to understand it or pull it off because nobody else is Jesus. That's the point. Just keep bringing your faith back to Jesus. 
Everything I believe is because of Jesus. I cannot shake him. I cannot explain him away, and I can't get enough of him. And I encourage you to bring it back to Jesus. See, I don't get concerned with what a modern culture thinks or any culture thinks of Jesus or what they think of his ethics or his moral or his teachings. What does that matter? I follow Jesus, not them. And as a follower of Jesus, I am well aware that people, listen, his own people killed him for his teachings. If his own people killed him for his teaching, what makes me think the people I live with are going to like what he has to say? Following up to sign up for Jesus, look at the history of people. It doesn't go well for a lot of people. And I knew that getting into it. So we aren't surprised when popular culture or other societies or whoever doesn't like what Jesus says. But I, and I hope you, are looking for, well done, my good and faithful servant from God. I don't need affirmation from my friends or Twitter or anybody else. I'm looking for it from God. You see, what I've settled, and I hope you do too, is that I am not the judge of God. Have you settled that in your heart? I mean, this is very important. I don't believe that he needs to answer to me. I don't believe he needs to explain anything to me. In fact, I don't believe God's on trial and I need to defend him. My God is much greater than that, just to let you know. But you see, I firmly believe he's going to be and is my judge. I believe I'm going to stand before him in his throne. You see, God created the world, and God established the government. God set the standards for a relationship, not us. C.S. Lewis said this. He said, the ancient man approached God, or even the gods, depending, as the accused person approaches his judge. For the modern man, the roles are reversed. He is the judge. God is on the dock. He is quite a kindly judge. If God should have a reasonable defense for being the God who permits war, Poverty and disease. He is ready to listen to it. The trial may even end in God's acquittal. But the important thing is that man is on the bench and God is on, is in the dock. You see, our culture and other people, and I don't know if you've thought about this, we think we can judge God. But a biblical worldview says, no. God doesn't answer to us. God sets the standards for the relationship. God doesn't answer to us, but God answered for us. And that's what should blow your mind. He accepted our sin. He came so we could come to him. Look at this. Verse 15, it says this. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Now to state this in a positive manner rather than using the negative as he does, we have a high priest who is able to empathize in our weakness. This includes doubts. This includes struggles. There's a story, there's a story in the Gospel of Mark about a man who's having a lot of problems with his son, I mean, crazy problems. You should read it, Mark chapter 9. But he brought his son to the disciples said, hey, can you heal him? And the disciples couldn't heal him. There was a big commotion. Crowds started gathering around, and Jesus saw it. And so he walked over them, and the man said, oh, look what he said to Jesus. He said, but if you can do anything, take pity on us and help 
I mean, when your son is hurt, when your son is sick, when your son needs somebody, our daughter, says, will you just help us? He says, help me. Look what Jesus says. If you can. He's like, boy, you know who you're talking to? If, if I can. Huh? I like that. You got to look for that kind of stuff in the Bible. If you can. What kind of question is that? Jesus said, everything is possible for the one who believes. What the man says next. It says, immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. At least I'm pretty sure I think. I don't know. Maybe I don't believe. I don't know. Help me overcome my unbelief. I do believe Jesus. I think. I'm not sure. Well, help me if I don't believe enough. Help me overcome my unbelief. Look at the humility. He doesn't say, Jesus, listen, I don't like what's going on here. You need to answer to me. He just comes and says, help me. Take pity. Help me. You do it. I can't do it. Help me. I am struggling. I am hurting. Jesus, I need you. Jesus, I need you. Help me. He has confidence, but not in himself. His confidence in Jesus. He says, I don't even know if I believe enough, but you can help me believe enough. So help me. Help me believe Jesus. And maybe that needs to be your prayer. Maybe that needs to be your prayer. See, the writer of Hebrews tells us we can approach God. We can approach Jesus. We can have this humble confidence because of Jesus. Look what it says, verse 16. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Because Jesus came to us, we can now go to him. We have direct Access to God through faith in Jesus Christ. He is our great mediator. We no longer need one. We no longer need a priest. We no longer need a pastor. Listen, we will pray for you and we want to be with you, but you don't need us. You have direct access to God because of Jesus Christ. Do you know how amazing that is? We approach him so we can find mercy and grace and our help in our time of need that we can have direct access to the throne room of God and we can talk to him and we can have this intimate relationship with him because of Jesus Christ and he will help us. Not because we're special, not because we're amazing, not because we're great, because Jesus is. See, the most important thing in your life is a relationship with Jesus Christ. Most important thing in your life is intimacy with him. Get to know him. He'll get to know you and love him and spend time with him because he is the son of God, the great high priest who serves as your mediator. Who has created a new and better way. And we'll talk all about that in a little bit. The bottom line is that our faith, your faith, my faith, our faith must be Jesus-centered. My center, it starts and it ends with Jesus Christ. It must be all about Jesus. And what I have learned is when I start to doubt, when I start to question, when I get in this pity party mode. Anybody ever had a pity party before? Some of y'all have. Don't you like to invite everybody you know to join the party? Yeah. When I get in this pity party mode, it's because my faith is completely self-centered. My faith is about me and my goals and my views and my dreams and what I want out of life. Y'all ever got mad because you didn't get what you wanted out of life? I'm still growing. I think I'm going to hit six foot three eventually. I'm still mad about my height. Look, I, can, I have a list of things. But when my faith becomes about me and my life and my views and my, 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 well, 
that leads to doubt. Because a faith centered on me won't amount to much. Because I can't do much. But Jesus-centered faith leads to confidence. It leads to hope. It leads to this boldness because you're counting on the creator of the universe to come through. You believe that you're accessing the throne room of God and you're talking to him and you have a relationship with him. And so I ask, are you on a journey of faith or are you on a journey of doubt? Honestly. See, a journey of faith is risky. A journey of faith is bold. A journey of faith is moving towards the unseen. Is that how you live? Do people describe you as risky, bold? You're in a journey of doubt. Unsure, uneasy. Need to make sure everything's lined out before I go. I want to live on the seen and the knowable, not the unseen and the unknowable. You see, doubt is playing it safe. And when your faith is self-centered, you will play it safe because you know you can't do that much. But boldness, stepping out on faith, you know that God must show up. Well, that's living by faith. A journey of faith is something completely different. It's where you do your part, which is the natural. Then God comes in and does the super part. And what do you have when you put those things together? The supernatural. Some of us lived our entire life with just this natural, unboldness, unrisk-taking life. But you've been called to be a faith-filled risk-taker. Someone who steps confidently and boldly forward. You say, Brian, I don't know. Wait till we get a couple more chapters in the Hebrews. He's going to have the hero hall of faith. And you're going to look at all the people who boldly walk for the Lord. He's going to say, this is what it looks like. This is who we act like. And I want you to know that Jesus has invited you into a personal relationship with him to be this faith-filled risk taker. Someone who's willing to put it all on the line for Jesus Christ. Someone who's willing to give everything you are and everything you have back to him and says, hey, do what you want with it. It's all yours anyways. And if you're in a season of doubt and struggles, listen, I've been there. I understand. And, it, and it's tough emotionally and physically. I mean, all of that. But I ask you to take your eyes off of yourself. Stop looking at the self-centered faith. Put your eyes back on Jesus where they belong. Focus on him. Pray to him. Seek him. Because as we talked about last week, he will take you to a place of peace to a place of rest. Faithfulness will always lead you there. Because you and I, we don't stand in judgment of God. Do you know how silly that is when you say that out loud? Like, Brian, I would never judge God. You sure? I mean, my God is way too big for me to stand in judgment of. I mean, he spoke and created everything. I mean, what? It starts there. Like, I know I can't judge him. He gets to do whatever he wants. But he invites you and he invites me to know him, to have a relationship with him. And he's paved the way. He's died as our high priest. He's died for our sins and paved the way for you and I to have direct access to God through him. Mm. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we come to you in the precious name of Jesus. We thank you that we can talk to you, that we have access to you because of our great high priest. Father, we humbly come before you to find mercy and grace in our time of need. 
But we have many things going on in our lives from sin to struggle to doubts. And Father, we believe, but help us overcome our unbelief. Father, strengthen our faith. Allow us to be risk takers, to be bold, to move towards the unseen. Father, allow us to turn from a selfless, selfish face to a selfless faith. Where we make things all about you and your world and your creation. Father, we thank you so much for Jesus. We pray all this in his name. Amen.